Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's. we're going to uh, get back into our Route 66 series. So if you would, take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Micah. Jonah, Micah. Jonah, Micah. Mr. Jones, the elementary school principal, made it a practice to visit uh, the classes from time to time. And uh, <clears throat> one day, uh, he walked into uh, Mrs. Smith's fourth grade class and where the children, they were studying American history. And uh, so Mrs. Jones asked the class how many states that they could name. Well, with all their collected effort, they came up with 40 of the 50 states and the principal jokingly told them that in his day, students knew the names of all the states. And little Johnny spoke up and said, yeah, but in those days, there were only 13. <laughs> we're going to look at the book of Micah. And Micah chapter 1, verse 1 is what I want to start with first. And we kind of get the understanding of the time that Micah was in. In the, in the nation of Israel, and uh, Micah 1 verse 1 says, The word of the Lord uh, that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So what we understand about Micah's time is he is a contemporary of Isaiah and also Hosea. All right, These three prophets. Now Isaiah was, was certainly more prominent in that he was in with the kings, and he had audience with the kings. It doesn't say that Micah and Hosea necessarily were, but they were during that time, and they would prophesy to the kings, but they certainly knew Isaiah. And so during this time, they were, as we've seen the pattern in um, these minor prophets, that they are continuing, well, and the major prophets too, to talk about God's judgment on the sins of Israel and how they had turned and how God's plea for them would, would be to return to him and forsake their idol worship and, and their, their sin and all of those things, and then there would be that pronouncement of judgment that would come if they didn't. And that judgment had to do most of the time with Israel being taken into captivity by some foreign nation. Uh, much of the prophecies had to do with the Syrian invasion, also with the Babylonian invasion, and amongst those times. And so God raised up these men to give Israel an opportunity to turn back to him so as to thwart that judgment. Uh, because many times, and we've seen throughout, the, especially the Old Testament, that uh, God did a lot of repenting in the Old Testament. God did a lot of repenting. He said this would be the judgment, and then they would repent, and then he would change his mind. That's what repenting means, change your mind. And that's, we saw that in, in, in Jonah's book with Nineveh. The pronouncement was, Yet in 40 days, and God's going to destroy Nineveh. That was the word that Jonah came to bring. There was, no, there was not even any hope in that message. He didn't say, unless you repent. He just said, in 40 days, God's going to destroy the city. That was it. That walked about the city pro proclaiming that. And yet, the people took it upon themselves. It says they believed God. They believed this word, and so they started to repent. And when God saw them turn, then he changed his mind. It says that God repented or he relented. The King James, I think, says repented. And so we see this again and again that God is really, we see what's really in his heart to do is to show mercy, is to show grace, is to 
welcomed the people back, anybody who would turn to him. I like what, um, what Andre said to us on Sunday when he was talking about if someone would just come, turn, take one centimeter step toward God, he'll go miles to you. And that, that's just in his heart. Um, so in Micah, it's basically the same story. You can read the first few chapters, and it is calling out their sin and then pronouncing the judgment to come. But we're going to focus on, on three different places tonight because in our Route 66 series, we have a map. And that map is our M stands for memento, A stands for the attraction, the big theme or the big thought in this book, and then P is also is the person of Jesus. Because the, every book is some type or shadow pointing to the Son of the living God who is the Word become flesh. So I want to start actually with the person of Jesus. I want to go over to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. And we're going to actually go backwards tonight. So it won't be map tonight. It'll be Pam. Okay. Uh, the person of Jesus. And Micah chapter 5. And we'll, we'll begin reading in verse 2. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Everybody good? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. There he is. Whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Check that out. Whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So what he is telling them is God is going to be the ruler. And this God is going to be a man. He's old because he's God. Not he's old as in he's aged. He's old because he's been around a long time from everlasting. And this everlasting God from of old, who was here before the creation of the world, now is going to come and dwell among us and be a ruler, it says, in Israel. So he's talking about he physically will be here amongst the people. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Now, that is a reference to Mary bringing Jesus into the world. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Verse 4, And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Now, let's jump over to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to see how this correlates what we just read into uh, and shows us that this is speaking of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to go to verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Malachi, Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled at all and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he got this, all the, the scholars and the scribes, those who wrote out the scripture, the experts in the scripture, and, and they started looking through the Old Testament to find out where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And here's where they're, they're quoting Micah. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people 
Israel. Micah speaking hundreds of years before the Christ has come, and now we see through New Testament revelation, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, that he was literally talking about the person of Jesus. Marvelous thing, isn't it? Now, I want us to also look at Revelation chapter 7 for a moment. I love the way this reads. And the focus here on Jesus is, yeah, he is the ruler, but listen, look how he rules the people. He rules as a shepherd. He rules as a shepherd. That is, bless you, he is amongst his people, caring for them, nurturing them, guiding them, leading them, speaking to them. Uh, chapter, or, chapter 7, verse 15, Revelation Chapter 7 and verse 15, it says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that going to be a glorious day? Wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then Micah chapter 5, we read further down to verse 5, the first part, and it says, this one, talking about this ruler, this shepherd, talking about Jesus, this one shall be peace. It didn't say he shall bring peace. It said he shall be peace. And Ephesians says it like this, for he himself is our Peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Praise God. Amen. There we find our Savior again, yet again, in types and in shadows, uh, in, 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 in description in the old covenant, and now revealed in the new covenant. So now I want us to go to Mike, Micah chapter 7, and we're going to look at um, what I believe to be the attraction, one of the big thoughts in this book. The big truths really helps us see what's in the heart of God yet again and again. Shepherd your people, verse 14, Micah chapter 7, verse 14. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage, who dwell solitarily in a woodland in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days of old. I want you to remember this. It, we see this phrase in Micah, days of old, several times. If you'll read through these these chapters, these seven chapters, you'll see this theme throughout it, as in days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. Verse 16, the nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. So what he's talking, what he's saying is God is speaking here, and he's talking about, or Micah is speaking, pleading to God, and also then God is responding, but he's talking about the days to come. This is after uh, Israel has been taken into captivity, after the judgment has come upon them, God is helping them understand there is still hope for this nation. That's not the end, all right? That captivity is not the end. The consequence of their sin is not the end. God continues, and he, today it's always been what he has brought to us, no matter what thing that we have done, no matter what trouble we incur, no matter what we've brought upon ourselves, God still cries out hope for us. And so here he's bringing a message of hope so that they can see beyond 
the situation. They can see beyond the trouble and the pain and the misery and the captivity, all those kinds of things. They can look beyond that and know that God is still very interested in their lives. Their ears shall be deaf. Verse 17, they shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God. Remember, he's talking about the other nations. And they shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Passing over the transgression. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. If God is pleased to do anything, if he delights in anything, it's not in being angry. It's in being merciful because that's who he is. He's a merciful God. And the scripture says, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. This is what God delights in, is to be merciful to his people, to show kindness and goodness to us. It's the goodness, it's the kindness, it's the mercy of God that continually leads us to repentance. Amen. I'm grateful for that today. Thinking of that, I want, I want us to, I didn't have this in my notes, but the scripture just came to mind. I think we need to look at it. Isaiah chapter 55, and um, let's look at verse, um, I think it's along verse 9, Alex. We'll start in 9 probably. Just on this thought, I want to read here in, uh, in verse 18 here as you guys are looking to Isaiah 55. Who is God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant? remnant of his heritage. Now, Isaiah 55 in verse 9 says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's go back to 8. Uh, verse 7. There we are. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will what? Abundantly pardon. When will he abundantly pardon? When someone just turns to him. He's just looking for that opportunity to show his abundant mercy. And so when they turn to him, he, he abundantly pardons. This is what this is showing. Now, now watch, let's keep going. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now think about that. That follows right after he says, I will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Many times if we've sinned, and I'm not talking about anybody in this church because you guys don't sin, but I'm talking about other people that go to other churches. But the, the thought in our head is, what, about, what do you think about God at that moment? What, what are our thoughts toward God whenever we fail? What is it that comes to our mind? We think, we think that we've disappointed. We think that we've angered him. We think that. But this says, when we, come, when he, when we turn to him, he abundantly, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't, I'm not thinking like you do. I'm a God who gives mercy. I'm a God who abundantly pardons. And so that we can always trust that when we come to him, we find grace and mercy. Are you hearing me? That's why we come boldly before the throne of grace because that's all we can expect from him. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that about our God. It's always available to us. Even Jesus taught us in, in the, the Lord's Prayer, 
And the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. Now, we've made a big deal about the actual words that Jesus said. Now, it is a beautiful prayer, and it's a beautiful song and all that. And it makes a pretty plaque on the wall or whatever you want to do with those words. But, but Jesus is actually more giving us a pattern or how we should pray more than these words. He's just lending some words here. And the first thing that Jesus teaches us in how we approach God, and I want you to understand, Jesus is teaching the disciples still under the old covenant here. Remember how we've talked about Jesus' teaching is much of his teaching was still under the context of the law, right? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. So thank God we're not under the law. Everybody's still got their right hand, right? You're not, a, okay. So we don't, we don't follow that to the, to the letter because we're not under the law. So here he says, now check this out. Here he says, even under the context of the law and how they pray, Jesus said, the first thing is our Father. Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Because he wants us aware before anything else, before we deal with any issues in our life, before we talk about anything else, remember first and foremost, God is your Father. And if you approach Him on that basis first, then you can have, then now you have the right perspective in your communication with God. I don't know about you, but I, when I was younger, when I was younger, for, I'm for many years, and I've told you this, I was afraid of God because of the kind of things that you know, part of the, my church upbringing was extremely legalistic, and, and, I mean, we were going to hell for every dadgum thing we did. And it, it just didn't, I always heard those, you'll go to hell for that, you'll go to hell for that, you'll go to hell for that, you'll go to hell for that. So I was terrified in many ways, and so I always felt like, uh, you know, that I needed to somehow, something was always wrong with me. And so I always had to try to, you know, you know you've heard the term, you need to get right with God. 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 Hey, listen, if it's on me, I'm hopeless. Come on, can we be honest tonight? If it's on us, we're hopeless. Jesus got us right with God, all right? He's the one who justified us. He's the one who died for our sins. So you need to get right. So I was always kind of under that mentality. And so when I, if, when I would go to God in prayer, the first thing I felt like I had to fix was sin or anything, any weakness in my life. I always felt like, okay, okay, God, if you'll just tolerate me for a couple of minutes. First of all, I just need to ask you for forgiveness and, 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 and so we can kind of you know, clear the, the channel of communication here, get all the junky stuff out of the way. All right, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that, and I'm sorry for this. Oh, okay, now we can talk. Now, I'm, 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 I'm going to make an assumption that I'm not the only person who's ever thought like that. All right, am I in the right church here tonight or am I by myself up here? Okay, uh, because that's how we think and this is what God is saying. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. So Jesus said, when you come to God, you say, Father, Father, who art in heaven. Now listen to this. Hallowed be thy name, or holy is your name. Now think about this. So you approach him on the basis of your relationship with him, and then you take a moment to worship him. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Now think about this. So you go from from this place of relationship and then this place of worship to this place of authority. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a powerful thought. And then you get to your needs. 
We talk about the spiritual things that need to happen, the things that we need to see the kingdom of God manifesting in this earth. And then he says, and give us this day our daily bread. I love that he covers the gamut. I mean, from the biggest spiritual thoughts, the kingdom of God coming to the earth to bread on the table. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And then what's the next thing he says? And forgive us our... Think about how, how far down on the list of things to pray about that is. It's like that's not the first thing on God's mind. Maybe we should really slow this thing down and think about how our God sees us and how he wants us to approach him. I'm saying this prayer was under the old covenant. And this is still in the heart of God. Forgive us our trespasses. Now, this is what's interesting. This part of the prayer is very much under the law. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, watch this. Remember when Jesus also said, if you don't forgive men their sins, what's going to happen? Neither will your heavenly Father forgive your sins. When I was growing up, there were two unpardonable sins that was talked about all the time. That one and blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And we were all scared to death of what that was. Nobody knew. We just knew that if you blasphemed, it was over for you. So we just kind of tiptoed around talking about the Holy Ghost. I was afraid to even talk about the Holy Ghost because I didn't want to blaspheme him. Didn't even know what that was. But it's, it was so daunting, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. God, I hope I've never done that. I mean, what a bummer it would be to show up and God says, <laughs> you thought you were getting in. <laughs> Sorry. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, that changed when it came to forgiveness. Paul taught us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. He's not waiting to forgive you as long as you'll forgive somebody else. In Christ, he forgave you, so that's why you forgive others. We live in a better covenant, my family. This is a better covenant. As, and so I will abundantly part from my thoughts. They're not your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. So God is showing us who he is. Now let's go back to uh, Micah. That was a fun little trail to go down. And verse 19, um, chapter 7, verse 19. It says, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. When's he going to do that? When did he do that? He did that in Christ. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers, when? From days of old. I think, I think we're on to something here with this from days of old. It's teaching us about the word of God and the acts of God and the person of God. The person of God is a person of old. The acts of God are acts of old. The word of God is a word of old. And what he's teaching us here in this passage is, Lord, if you did it then, you absolutely have to do it here too. Because you don't change. If this is what you did back then, we want to see that here too. And so it doesn't matter how long you've been holding on to that promise from the word of God. Some of you have been holding on to very specific promises concerning specific things in your life, whether that is health, your body, financial breakthrough, 
uh, your relationship, your, your marriage, your children, whatever it is, your job, whatever it is, you've been holding on to this promise. Let me just tell you something. It doesn't matter how long you've been holding on to it. That promise is sure to come to pass because the moment God spoke it, it is just as true right now in this moment. Even if you've been looking at it, confessing it for 10 years, it's just as true right now as it was from the moment God spoke it. It is the sure word, more sure than your circumstances. Thank God for that. So we can continue to believe God. If you, and this is, this, is what, this is what caused David to beat that giant. He said, God delivered me from the hand of the lion, he, the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He's going to deliver me from this giant too. If he did it before, he has to do it again. Yeah. All right? And when you're in that moment where you're in those moments of uncertainty and you feel like you're away, you're, you, things are distant between you and God. You're just surrounded by this darkness, by this circumstance. That's when you need to open your mouth and recall those victories in your life. Recall those times that God did it, what he did for you, that breakthrough, that healing, that blessing, and say, no, he did it here. He has to do it here too. And that's what I'm standing on is the character and the truth of the word of God. Amen. And now Micah chapter 6. And I'll give you something to take home in your memento. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Those three things to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. All right, one last scripture, Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus speaking, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. See, Jesus is speaking here, and, and he's bringing this thing that Micah said God requires right here before these leaders of Israel. And saying, guys, all this doing that you're doing, okay, you pay your tithes, I mean, all the way down to the spices in your spice rack. Take 10% out. I mean, you're really good at that. But there are weightier matters here. There are more important things than that. Yeah, tithing is important, but there are more important things than that. And those things are justice, mercy, and, and think about it. What did, what did Malachi say? Malachi said humility, but Jesus said faith. As if humility and faith are the same thing. They are the same thing. To believe God is to completely humble yourself to his word, to what he has said. And that humility is tested like none other when you're facing things that are contrary to his word. And it's in those moments you have to go, I'm either going to, I'm either going to believe more in this circumstance or I'm going to humble myself under God and believe him, even though I don't see what he's saying yet. Justice, mercy, 
and faith. So the number one thing that we learned from this is, you might want to write this down, it's real simple. Do what is right. That's what it means to do justice. Do the right thing. We, we already are born with that. Think about it. Anybody have kids here? What is one of the... I know in my house, when, I, when, when we got two kids, and, and then as you get more kids, it progressively becomes a, a, a daily conversation amongst kids. And it's these words. That's not fair! So we have an instinct for justice. We have an instinct for it. When we've been wronged, we want justice for that. Even Abraham had that. And he's talking to God. God says, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm about to flatten Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Listen to what he says. I love this. He says, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. He's talking to God. So that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And then God said, all right, let's negotiate. What's on your mind, Abraham, if there are 50 righteous? Will you destroy it? No, I won't destroy it for 50. How about 40? No. For 30? 30? 35? No. 20? No. How about 10? I won't destroy it if there are 10 righteous. And then Abraham stopped there. I think if Abraham would have said one, God would have said, no, I won't destroy it. But Abraham knows his nephew's there, and he has other relatives, and so I know he's trying to get down to 10 because he's got 10 people there he knows. <laughs> <laughs> so, but guess what? There weren't 10 righteous there. And yet God, still in his mercy, took the righteous ones out. Shouldn't the judge of the earth do right? God's going to do the right thing. And he, and, he, and he requires that of us as his people, those made in his image, to do what is right, to do justice. So do what is right. Next, says love mercy. There are two definitions, two words that describe mercy in the, in the Old Testament here, and it is goodness and kindness. Goodness and kindness. To love goodness and kindness. Jesus said it like this, as you want to be treated, so treat others. Love goodness and kindness. And when you have opportunity to be good and kind, take that opportunity. Instead of anger. Hmm? Instead of lashing out, think for just a moment. Now, I'm preaching the air caller right now. Think for just a moment. Kindness and goodness. You'll never go wrong. If you err on mercy, you will still, you'll be, you'll be all right. If you give mercy instead of what somebody deserves, you're going to be all right. And you might just help rescue somebody. Next, to walk humbly before your God. The third thing from this memento is to simply walk by faith. That is, humble yourself to God and his word. Because the moment you do that, you and God together 
become greater than any enemy that you face, than any trouble that you face. If God be for us, who can be against us? Hmm? May the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> Do what is right, love goodness and kindness, and walk by faith. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.